Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Wednesday, November 8th. I'm your host, Christine Hargis, and I'm joined via Skype by healthcare expert Todd Campbell, one of Fool.com's most prolific writers. Todd, how's it going? Good, good. I've been prolifically writing all day. <laughs> I introduce you so much on the show that I'm kind of running out of new ways to do it. <laughs> We gotta, we gotta mix it up. No question. Are you prolifically, prolifically, prolifically writing on anything interesting today? Oh yeah, I mean, it's, listeners can go right online to mollyfool.com, right? Type in Todd Campbell and see everything I'm putting out. <laughs> Perfect. So uh, for today, we have two topics to discuss. The first one is a company called Carex Biopharmaceuticals, which I don't think we've ever covered on the show before. If we have, it's escaping my memory. It's certainly not something that we've covered heavily, but they have some interesting things going on. And then we're going to talk about Valiant, which we have certainly talked about on this show before. And we'll give you the update with what is going on with this company that is somewhat of a turnaround story that is just starting to get their footing back. But first, uh, Carex Biopharmaceuticals. The ticker there is K-E-R-X, for those of you what that... What a weird story, Christine, on Carex, right? That's yeah. probably why we're interested in talking about it. I mean, so the headline here is that they got a drug approved, and they reported earnings, and the stock slides like 17%. And, and so on the surface there, you're like, wait, but they got their drug approved. That's a good thing. But if you really dig into it, it's the details of the earnings report that actually seem to have mattered, at least for this daily instantaneous reaction that the market had. Yeah, it was really a, a strange situation all around because I, the, the, in, the FDA decision on their drug, which is Arixia, uh, was expected on Monday. And at the same time, the company was expecting to report their earnings on Monday night. Well, five o'clock rolled around and Carex puts out a press release saying, hey, we haven't heard from the FDA yet, so we're not going to report earnings until we hear from them, so we'll talk to you tomorrow. So, of course, that set off the Twitter sphere, and uh, everybody was going back and forth trying to figure out what's that mean, what's that mean. Sure enough, first thing in the morning, they announced, yes, the FDA has approved it, and here are our third quarter numbers. Problem were, third quarter numbers completely disappointed. And that won the day as far as news flow. People looked right beyond the fact that uh, the addressable patient population for Arixia is going to get bigger and said, whoa, wait a minute, why why, why didn't the numbers hit what we, we thought it would hit in, in third quarter for its already approved indication? And that's, that's something we didn't spell out, but Arixia is already in the market for one uh, indication in chronic kidney disease in this new approval is a supplemental approval for the drug that essentially allows its use in non-dialysis patients where before it was being used in the dialysis patients. Exactly. So this is a drug that is already on the market. And so we've been able to follow along with the sales from this drug for a while now since it was approved in September 2014 originally. And so now there's a new extended indication that the drug uh, is being used for or was just approved for use in. But people are still watching carefully the sales of the original indication for this drug. And what's been really interesting is that the volume of the patients that are taking this drug was up. They reported really good year-over-year growth in patient numbers that are taking this drug. But essentially, revenue was kind of flat if you look at it over prior quarters. And that was because, as they put it, due to a change in the mix of business, meaning the types of payers that are covering the patients that are taking this drug 
are not giving them as much money. Specifically, Medicare patients are making up a larger and larger percentage of this pie, and they don't pay as much for the drug. Therefore, when you do your multiplication of how much you're getting per patient times the number of patients, even though that number of patients is going up, your revenue is not going up as quickly. Right. The per patient cost is, is a big issue. I think let's back up for a second and explain the patient population that is, Erixia was previously approved in. It was approved for the use of, uh, well, the ability to control phosphorus levels in patients with uh, chronic kidney disease that were on dialysis. And that's about a 450,000 patient population. Um, managing that patient population, you know, is complex. And there are a lot of metallic, met, metabolic things that they have to consider especially the impacts on iron and, and phosphorus. And when those get out of balance, they can cause all sorts of problems and contribute to our, to mortality. So this helped improve uh, the control of phosphorus in dialysis patients. A lot of people thought this drug, when it, when it hit the market, Christine, would be a, a blockbuster drug. It, it hasn't. Sales have, were, have been very small and uh, really didn't start picking up until last year when some manufacturing concerns got got resolved, and as it was able to negotiate more and more uh, coverage with different commercial insurers, that brought us into 2017, where those negotiations continued, and they were able to cut some deals with specifically Part D plans run by Humana and United Healthcare, who are some of the biggest, two of the biggest, um, uh, uh, I guess, insurers. So they have a lot of pricing power. As a result, when those ramped up in the third quarter, you saw, as you just described, a pickup in patients, but a drop in the average amount um, of revenue generated per patient. And of course, you know that's a big problem. Now, I think what shouldn't get lost necessarily in that, Christine, is that that you know the revenue, while it missed expectations by three million, it came in at 15 million in the quarter, right? Uh, that's still up significantly from where it was last year. Yeah. And the other thing is, I don't think that you can say that these new agreements that they have with United Health and Humana are bad deals. I actually think that they're fantastic new contracts for them to have inked. Because now when you look at the expanded indication, you have a bunch of patients that are going to be eligible for this. And those new patients with this new extended indication, the extended label, they're often covered in a more profit-friendly commercial way. Um, then, then these patients that you're seeing uh, have uh, less revenue per patient. And so when you start to make the, uh, the reach out to the new doctors or to the existing doctors saying, hey, same drug that you're used to, you can now prescribe it to more patients, that's going to be a good thing. I agree with you uh, because, I, I mean, okay, so you've got 450,000 people who are on dialysis, right? That's the addressable market heading up into this past week when they got the approval. They just added another 650,000 addressable patients. All of these patients are being treated by the same doctors. So they've already got the sales team in place, up to speed, out there visiting and calling on these doctors. Much easier than it would be for, say, a brand new company getting a brand new approval to be able to then go in and say, hey, yes, what? You can use this in your non-dialysis patients as well as a way to boost iron, which is a big problem um, in the progression of the disease is, 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 is you know, less iron and in, in, in anemia. So the ability to address that with an oral tablet without having to go to say, you know, IV infusions for iron or for having to 
uh, take supplements, you know, vitamin supplements that sometimes can, you know, cause problems for people's GI uh, system. Um, there are some advantages that may allow this drug to generate sales. Who knows what those sales would be, right? I mean, we've got, like you said, a bigger proportion of non-dialysis patients covered by commercial insurers. Theoretically, they'll pay more than the Part D plans will for the drug. Um, it's a larger patient population, but maybe they don't get as much penetration into it. It's it's hard to say, and I think that's why people are really concerned about what the future holds for Carex, because Carex, by its own admission, they removed their guidance for 2017, saying we don't fully understand how the Part D situation is going to play out with their existing um, patient base uh, for the rest of the year, and we don't know what kind of an impact this new approval in the patient mix will have from that. Um, so they actually pulled their guidance for 2017. I think that scared a lot of people. Yeah, that, that's got to be another. Saying, okay, yeah, growing year over year, but we don't really have any insight or any clarity into what that growth might look like. Yep, absolutely. And uncertainty is definitely another contributing factor to the loss that the stock suffered. Also, um, I want to point out that this is a stock that quite a few people are extremely bearish on. About a quarter of their float, of their shares outstanding, is sold short, meaning people are betting that this company is going to fail. I think a big reason for that, aside from what we've already covered with the uncertainty, is that they really need sales to pick up to avoid somewhat of a cash crunch. Yeah, they've got 114 million in cash, which is not a ton of money when you have a commercial stage drug, right? It's expensive marketing these drugs. As a result, you know, you did 15 million in revenue in the third quarter. That was up from 5.8 million year over year, but it was relatively flat quarter over quarter, right? That's the problem. Quarter over quarter was flat. Um, 24 million loss reported in the third quarter. So 114 million in cash, 24 million dollar loss. That's gonna make you say, okay, well, at what point are they gonna have to tap investors for more money? Um, they do have an at-the-market facility that they can go out and, and raise cash from by selling stock, you know, whatever price the market's trading at. Obviously, they don't want to do it at five bucks. They were probably hoping that it was gonna go up uh, and they could tap it, <laughs> tap it that way. Um, but they they can access 75 million um, from that at the market. So I don't I don't think the cash crunch is immediate. I think that. People could see dilution over the course of the next couple of quarters, though, if the non-dialysis business doesn't, you know, ramp relatively quickly. Uh, and then, of course, the, you know, on the whole uncertainty issue, I mean, you do have competitors in space that are also working on their own anemia drugs. Uh, one of them actually, um, uh, symbol there is AKBA, Akbia, Akbia, yeah, easy for me to say. <laughs> uh, they have trial results panning out in 2018, 2019. And you know potential commercialization sometime in 2019, 2020. So I think that that's weighing on on a little bit of the investor enthusiasm too. So this is a high risk stock. I mean the investor takeaway is sales are still growing year over year. A doubling of the addressable patient population. It could be that this stock is underpriced, but it's certainly not a faint of heart stock to buy. So stock to buy for the faint of heart. Yep. Yeah, and it's not surprising that there are competitors researching into this industry. If you think about the fact that one in seven adults has chronic kidney disease, this is, there's a lot of patients that we're talking about here, and there are a lot of complications with the disease that, of course, you're going to have interested drug makers trying to develop new, better cures for these people. So we don't have a sponsor for today's show, so I figured I would interrupt our episode to plug 
leaving us an iTunes review. If you are a regular listener of the show, please do us a solid and let us know what you think of the show. The feedback is super helpful, and reviews also factor into iTunes promotion of our show, meaning that every review we get increases our ability to get the good, foolish word out to our listeners. So, if you like us in particular, if you don't, then maybe don't do this, but go on iTunes, leave us a review. We will really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. So, as promised, our second topic of the day is Valiant, another stock that just reported earnings. And in contrast to Carex, which sank about 17% earlier this week, Valiant soared 17%. And so now uh, they are still well, well, well below where they once were. Today's price is about 95% below their 2016 peaks. They have a new CEO, new-ish, and he is trying to turn the stock around. It seems like he might be starting to get some positive momentum. Yeah, it's all a matter of traction with this company, right? I mean, Christine, we've talked about Valiant in the past, but maybe it would be helpful for some of our new listeners who maybe aren't as familiar to the story to get a little bit of background on the company. Um, I think that you know, to 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 sum it up, what we could say is this is a, a relatively problem stock. One of the most uh, love to hate stocks on Wall Street over the course of the last couple of years. What ended up happening is that you know the former management team had a business strategy that was highly acquisitive. We're going to go out, we're going to acquire all sorts of other companies. We don't care how much it costs us, how much debt we have to take on. That's where we're going to get our 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 uh, our growth from. As a result, we're not going to spend a lot of money on R&D, research and development to develop our own drugs in-house. We're just going to focus on acquisitions, acquisitions, acquisitions. And then we're going to drive growth from those acquisitions by using a specialty pharmacy uh, that has since uh, come under scrutiny and, and been shuttered for some, we'll call it um, improper um, marketing techniques, we'll say. And so you've got uh, uh, that was a, was a big headwind for the company. Um, you've got the fallout from that where management got shaken up and you had a new CEO come in to the company about 18 months ago. Um, and you've also got a steep sell off in um, sales or drop off in sales uh, kind of stemming from this whole problem that emerged in 15 and 16 as well. And I think that the, the big issue for Valiant shareholders today is to say, okay, well, we know that it was 250 something you know, dollars a share back in, at the peak, but it was also less than 10 bucks at the low. Where is it gonna go from here? And that, Christine, I think really just depends on how well this company orchestrates on its turnaround plan. How quickly can they get the debt levels under control and then sure up sales to get to a point where they're actually delivering growth instead of contraction. And that's a bit of a catch-22. I mean, they are really caught in between a rock and a hard place where, on one hand, they need to make more money to generate more revenue to cover their interest expense. But on the other hand, they kind of need to sell off some assets just so that they can lower their debt levels pretty quickly and get rid of that interest expense again. But if you sell off your assets, you don't grow revenue. And that also makes analyzing their quarterly statements extremely interesting and 
kind of difficult because you can't just compare year over year on a gap basis, which is the that that number that you see um, reported as the the accounting number. You kind of have to take these necessary uh, adjustments to it and, and look at the non-gap numbers to see what is really going on with the growth here. I mean, if if they report one thing, but that's because they have one say big tax advantage and they sold off this other huge unit, like that, that doesn't really give you a clear picture of what is going on. And so what you really want to look at here is what happened on constant currency and excluding divestitures and discontinuations. And that's how you can really get a better sense of how they're doing. Um, in particular, it's really important to look at this with their bread and butter segments, which is the Bosch and Loam segment and the Salix segments. These are two places where they generate 77% of their business. And so that's really where you need to look for organic growth. And thankfully, they have not sold off those entire units yet, which there was speculation that they might be considering a sale of those units. But again, to do that would really hamper their growth going forward. Um, but so you look at uh, you look at some of the constant numbers and the Bosch and Loam unit grew their revenue by 2% constant currency. Um, or if you take even more exclusions, this is again the divestitures and the discontinuations, their sales increased increased 6%, which, you know, that that's not gangbusters sales growth, but that's solid. And Salix, meanwhile, had organic growth also of 6%. Yeah, so you've got those two parts of its business that are performing at least stable to slightly up. I mean, if if you look at those those business, I think Bausch and Loam was uh, around up like one percent. If you include all of the junk, uh, Salix is up like three percent. I mean, that's not barn burner by any stretch, but at the same time, it's pretty darn good when you look at the other parts of its business, which is the branded RX business generally and the U.S. diversified products business, both of which. Um, saw sales drop off pretty dramatically, both because of the divestitures and also, though, because of um, some competitive threats from dr new drug launches and um, pricing renegotiations and the like. You know, so overall, Valiant reported 2.2 billion in revenue. Right, that was down 10.5 percent on an all-included basis. Or if you want to just look at organic, it was down 4 percent, which you know, not horrible, right? If you look at it on the organic or the ex-currency and all that uh, basis, right? Bausch & Loams and Salix did really well. However, Branded Rx fell overall down 17% to $633 million, uh, and U.S. diversified products fell 29% to $332 million. So those, those two smaller pieces of the, of the business really are a big drag, and they are going to, Christine, have to find some footing for those two businesses um, if they hope to get to a point in 2000, late 2018 or 2019 to start putting up uh, top line growth. Now, you know, once all the, the, the junk, I guess, gets anniversaried and you've got cleaner year over year comparisons to be looking at. Yep. One other metric to really keep a close eye on is the uh, EBITDA to interest coverage ratio, which essentially just means how safe are the loans. If you're somebody that had lent Valiant a bunch of money, you want to make sure that you're going to get paid back. And so you can put in these stipulations saying, hey, you need to meet the, my, my demands, otherwise uh, there are going to be uh, repercussions. And so with this, Valiant needs to make a certain amount of money. Um, as compared to how much they're paying in interest in order to not violate these debt covenants and potentially trigger stuff like a, a quicker uh, required repayment. They have made some progress on this, but not really a ton. Their interest expense is not dropping that quickly. 
Fortunately, I, I guess I do want to pull out some good news to try to highlight why this stock was up. They don't have any long-term maturities until 2020. They have slightly less debt. They ended the quarter with 27.6. This is down from the end of Q2. They had 28.2. Um, they have pretty steady levels of cash from quarter to quarter. And right now, there that uh, interest coverage ratio that I talked about has gone up to 2.08, which is a good thing. You want that to be well above the required 1.5. Yeah, I mean, Christine, I think that is a one of the, just to back up slightly. One of the reasons that so many people hated this stock and were willing to short this stock is because they thought that that the creditors were going to basically um, put them into default uh, because of violating those covenants. I think originally it was a three to one ratio. They renegotiated down to a two to one ratio. They renegotiated that down to one and a half ratio. It was expensive to renegotiate that. And that's why you've seen, you know, debt fall by six billion, but the interest expense really hasn't moved that much because of course, you know, the terms have changed for the debt. Um, that being said, they are making headway and, if you look at where we are on those EBITDA to interest coverage trends, I mean, we're well above the 1.5 on the adjusted basis uh, at above two. And as long as there's nothing that's materially crazy that happens for this company over the course of the next year without having any long-term uh, maturities, I mean, it's, it's one of those situations where you look at it and you say, okay, maybe we go from, you know, valuing the stock as a stock that or a company that's at risk of of going into bankruptcy because of of creditors instead say it's a kind of a, a troubled turnaround story that, you know, is in the early innings of getting itself back on the right path. And you know, if you're an investor, that changes your whole approach to the stock because now you're not saying, well, is my, am I hoping for a bankruptcy or am I hoping for just slow growth um, over time? Um, may not be worth being short the stock anymore if that's the case, right? And I think that that's really what we're seeing here is, is a lot of investors who've held a significant number of shares short saying, you know what? I think the story is changing a little bit here. And as a result, when the stock sells off a little bit, I'm going to cover some. So every time that the stock has sold off in the last two quarters, buyers have come back in and, and driven it back up. And I think a lot of that is due to a reduction in the short interest. Oh, yeah, I absolutely agree. As defaulting on their debt becomes less and less likely, the shorts are exiting their positions. Because remember, with shorting a stock, your potential losses are infinite. And so a lot of shorts can be kind of skittish if it looks like the company might be about to break out. They want to get out of there. They don't want to be caught having to pay up to who knows how much. Yeah, and I think that, you know, I mean, we're an investing show, right? So, I mean, every investor is listening right now is, do I go out and buy Valiant, right? You know, it's very hard to make the argument that Valiant's the best stock in healthcare that you need to run out and add this to your portfolio. I think it's a, it's a changing story. I wouldn't be short it, and frankly, I, I wouldn't be long it. I think it still needs to, to, you know, prove itself. We need to get some of this, these junk quarters behind us so that we can actually get some clean numbers um, and see where this company is, is heading once we get into two, you know, late into 2018, 2019. Now, the stock could go up significantly, could go down significantly in the interim. Who knows, right? We don't know. But I'm, I just don't feel confident enough one way or the direction, one way or the other to recommend that investors go out and either you know, continue selling it short or go out and you know, add it to their portfolios at this price. Yeah, absolutely. And um, when I look at their new CEO, Joseph Papa, I kind of think about him the same way that I think about Uber's new CEO, where he came into this business when it was at such a low point 
that there's really not a whole lot he can lose. Like either the stock doesn't end up doing very well, it, it can't ever get back to its former days of glory. And people are like, eh, you know, he tried, but like, what are you going to do with that pile of garbage, essentially? Or you you end up being able to turn it around. And he said himself, it's the turnaround opportunity of a lifetime, at which point the guy's a hero. So could be a very dramatic story to watch going forward. And we'll be sure to give you all of the updates on Industry Focus. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks that they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. The show is produced by Austin Morgan. For Todd Campbell, I'm Christine Hargis. Thanks for listening, and Fool on!